This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. All right, welcome back to AHP. Thank you for joining me. I'm going to bring on to the show in just a few moments. I got contacted by a candidate for the Liberal Democrats running in this weekend's South Australian election. Now, today's Thursday, the 15th of March, 2018, and I'm going to be releasing this show tonight to Patreon members. I honestly thought uh, the South Australian election was not this weekend coming up on the 17th, but it was the weekend after. Unfortunately, I was wrong. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to release the show to Patreon members tonight on the 15th, and on Friday morning, I'm going to release the show to the general public because obviously there's no point waiting until Saturday because the election is, in fact, this Saturday. Saturday in South Australia. So hence I got a message from Michael to have a chat uh, about LDP policies, if he's elected, what he's going to do for gun owners in South Australia, and just a little bit about why he wants to run for politics for the Liberal Democrats in South Australia. So I'm going to bring him onto the show. Michael Nowak, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. I really appreciate your time in uh, contacting me and wanting to come on the show to discuss this weekend's South Australian election. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. No worries. Mate, t- I guess tell us about yourself first. Who is Michael Nowak? What does he like to do? And everything in between. Sure. I'm 31 years old. I've got a, a partner and a son. Um, I'm a software engineer by trade. And uh, I've had an interest in politics for quite a while. So, you know, it's my way of sort of you know trying to give back and trying to change, you know, when you've experienced some bad things yourself. And, you know, when I've been involved in politics, you certainly hear a lot of the you know regulations and taxes and the negative consequences they have. So I'm very much a, I want to do something about it. I'm sort of sick about I'm sick of reading and sick of complaining about things. And yeah, for fun I like to exercise. I like to do a triathlon and shooting is a, something I've got involved in recently. I've been in a gun club uh, shooting and learning how to get my license, and I've finally got that recently. And that's a bit of fun on the weekends. Do you have any family members or you know, anyone that's into firearms or hunting or you're the first one? Or uh, No, I think most of them are sort of have the very common misconceptions of firearms. And when I told them I was you know, getting my firearms license, they were a bit worried and thought, oh, guns in the house, it's going to, you know, my son will shoot himself or something. Those things, just, they don't understand that we have safes and all the protections we go into this. And I, I hope... By me going through this process, they will actually learn something about how safe it really is. When you, for, What actually sparked your interest in getting involved in firearms? I think I've been supportive of it for at least probably five years. I mean, obviously being in politics, in the Liberal Democrats, you know, you're surrounded by people who are you know, quite understanding of shooters. I've, I've been supportive, but I've never really... I know it's been quite a hard sport to get into. It's, it takes a long time to get licensed. You know, even now, I've spent a year and got my license, I still have to wait six months, you know, for your first uh, H-class firearm. So I'd say the regulatory burden has sort of kept me back, but, you know, I've been interested in it, and I've had a lot of, you know, my fellow members, you know, they say it's fun, and I just wanted to get involved. And it is quite fun, you know, from the first time I went to the club, and even before then when I was in the galleries, it's a fun and nice sport to be in. So what, when you came home, and I guess you said to, you've probably been discussing it with your, your wife, girlfriend, fiancé, and, and you said, I want to you know, start getting into shooting, <laughs> what did she say? 
I think she was okay with it. I think she knew I had an interest in it. I think at first she probably thought maybe it was a phase or something, but you know, after <laughs> yeah. after several weekends of going to the club and enjoying and learning, I, I think even she's you know quite rational about it. You know, I'm not someone that has a, a temper or anything. I'm a very calm, you know, logical person. So I don't think there's any fear. I think it was probably more so the uh, my mother or other family members that are less understanding or less knowing of firearms that were more worried. But even they sort of realised that, you know, I, I am sensible and we will do this the right way. We, no one's going to endanger anyone else. You know, we're going to lock these things down and we're going to enjoy them. Just like a car or any other dangerous good we have. What do you want to get into when you, you start shooting? What did you get into first and uh, what sparks your interest in any other areas of shooting that you might want to get into in the future? I think as a beginner and someone that's joined the local pistol club, I'm going to start with just, just getting my targets right. Because, But then, of course, once I think I'm a good shot, I'll probably give a go doing some hunting. I'd like So I'm a member of the SSAA primarily because they have a conservation and wildlife management branch. So I'd love to get in there and learn a bit more about hunting. What uh, species do you want to hunt if you want to go out hunting? What sparks your interest in that arena? Yeah, I've, I've got ethical things. So I only want to hunt you know, animals considered pests. So I don't want to hunt anything that might be in danger or anything. You can't do that anyway. But, <laughs> True. you know, something that is genuinely a pest in our wildlife, so foxes, things like that, um, rabbits, those sort of things. And you said you got into pistols. What uh, current uh, disciplines are you shooting now? You're in your first six months, I think you said before. So what are you, what yes. are you, what are you shooting at the moment? Most of what we shoot at the club we call sports pistol and standard pistol. That's primarily what we do. I haven't done rapid fire yet, but that looks quite interesting. It is a bit tricky when you go to the club as a new member because you don't have your firearm for six months. You're constantly borrowing club firearms, so it gets a bit awkward. But it is a bit fun, though, because every week you get a new gun, so you certainly get to learn a lot of different firearms. Have you had a chance to shoot any of the different fire or different pistols uh, when you've been at the range there in the part of the club that you're in? Yeah, I've shot a, a Browning uh, 22, um, Buttmark, um, Walther. I probably don't know the exact model numbers of these things. Um, and I'm sure I've shot a couple of others, some revolvers, things like that. Sometimes shooting the revolvers in the standard pistol when you have to, you know, you've got limited time is very interesting. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. No, you know, you're right. Uh, have you got any eyes on any firearms that might strike your fancy when I guess your probation's finished? Anything that strikes your fancy that you might want to buy? I guess as a new shooter, the obvious one is a 22 semi auto. It, it shoots most of the matches. And even some of the, I'd like to do some service pistol. And the club, even though it's not really a service pistol, the club will let new people use their 22s for service pistol. What's the, I mean, there's obviously a lot of different issues around the country with South Australia, a lot of issues coming up there, different parties, Bernardi, et cetera, uh, changes to, to Family First, et cetera, as well. What's the state of politics in South Australia at the moment? I guess not just for gun owners, but just in general. I mean, South Australia, as you know, sort of the high, high expensive electricity prices. We've, you know, got a very poor economy, I would say, in terms of jobs and unemployment. I think you know there's we've got a government that's been in power for 16 years so there's a lot of anti-incumbents about the government but you know no one likes the opposition either so we want to get to a stage where we have the cheapest electricity in Australia but to be honest even that's not good enough you know places like France have electricity half our price and places like America electricity is a third of our price so we need to do a lot better and we need to attract jobs to South Australia and this is and this is not a problem that's 
in each of South Australia, all Australian states have a, an employment tax. And when you think about such a concept, that just outrages me. I think, why do we actually tax employment? This is a good thing, you know. So I, I would really like to drive, you know, big reforms to change our tax system and really encourage good things like jobs. You know, we need them and we don't need to waste a lot of money. I mean, there was a, a story about Bill Shorten and his, he spent $1,013 leaving a com car outside while I was at a Melbourne Cup party. And when I think about things like that, I think they just they waste our money. And if they don't, if they're not going to use it responsibly, we should just get it back, cut the taxes, and give it back to the people. So that's that's where I see South Australia and also Australian politics in general. Yeah, how did you get involved in the LDP? Why specifically did you get involved with the LDP? It was 2007, all the way back in 2007. I was watching the American elections. And there was a, a Republican who I really liked who was you know, pro-firearms and who was for low taxes. It was Ron Paul. And he started getting me thinking about a lot of issues where I traditionally was a bit, I would guess you'd say a bit of a greenie. I was a bit of a socialist. But this guy, he, his arguments were so logical on every issue. I thought, you know, I've been wrong. And, you know, I guess like a lot of, what's that saying? If you're, if you're young and a socialist, uh, you don't have, you're not a socialist, you don't have a heart, but when you get older, if you're still a socialist, you don't have a brain. <laughs> it's very much that saying. I think I, I grew up, you know, from listening to common sense people, and that's what drove me towards supporting lower taxes and more freedoms for individuals. And that's what then, I was then looking back, well, who's my Australian equivalent? And, you know, back in 2007, not many people knew about them, but there was a party called the Liberal Democrats, and I found them. And that's where I started my politics. That was the first party I became a member of in politics. Going on to my next question, I mean, are you, have you been speaking to any? I mean, obviously, you've been around the range. Have you been speaking to any shooters? And, and I guess I guess probably a, a more in-depth question, but are they dealing with any specific issues that you've heard of in South Australia that shooters are currently dealing with? In South Australia, we haven't sort of got the brunt of the NFA right now. We basically have the SAFE legislation has changed. And, you know, even there's little things that have annoyed myself and my friend that we recently got our licences. We got a very similar safe, a spiker. And it's it's a bit odd. The legislation basically says I can put a handgun in the rifle section, but I can't put it in the handgun section. So you get some very odd, due to some technicalities, some very odd rules that we really need to fix. But the real, the real bad stuff is going to come after the election. Things like lever action, reclassifications and other sort of limits are going to come and who knows what else they'll propose, you know, with the way they're going. Have you had had a chance at this stage to obviously, because we've got David in New South Wales, Aaron Stonehouse in WA. Has there been any talks with the government at the moment or trying to chat with them or not yet? I mean, the, the government won't even talk to us because we're not in parliament, but obviously if we're in parliament and we have a position of balance of power, then, you know, that changes everything, especially if we can, and I'm quite happy to, just like David Lionhelm works with other crossbench senators, I would be working with the other minor parties and any major party that would back me to sort of get some common sense on this issue. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be one or two or three, depending on who we work with, that might be supportive of firearms owners, but you've got to use that leverage on that issue and on other issues to negotiate the best outcomes. What, what, what policies resonate with you from the LDP? Anything that's uh, about you know, freedom of choice. It could be you know, some young person wants to go out to a pub at 3am and enter the pub, Adelaide has a lockout law. You know, in Sydney, they have an even more extreme lockout law. I think it's 130 at King's Cross. 
it's it's little issues of choice like that where they're constantly trying to get rid of your choice. Maybe, I mean, a lot of people go to Uber, right? Uber in South Australia now has a $1 per trip tax to basically fund the bailouts of the taxi industry. But that $1 tax, even once it's raised all the revenue that's needed to give money to the taxi industry, keeps going forever. So they're just taxing everything, regulating everything. Even before Uber was allowed in South Australia, the government was basically trying to take it to court, make things difficult. It, it, it seems to always get in the way when people are trying to do good things. You know, Uber was making things affordable. You know, it's about half the price of a taxi. Yeah. The government's also, at the moment, the government says it supports medical cannabis. And then at the same time, it's trying to jail someone that's providing free medicine for people. So you've got to wonder what their priorities are. You know, Rather than focus on criminals, they're putting all this legislation on law-abiding firearm owners. So their focus is really in the wrong area. Now, obviously, there's a lot of parties. You know, obviously, there's several different parties running. You've got, what you got Xenophon down there. You've got Bernardi, I guess, Labor, Liberal, Greens. Now, what, what can the LDP offer? Say, especially, obviously, we're talking more, you know, general for South Australians as well. But obviously, this is a, a hunting and shooting podcast. So, what can you, what can the LDP offer in South Australia that currently the other parties can't offer? Someone that's thinking, mm, maybe I'm swinging towards the LDP. What can they offer me as a firearm owner? As, as a firearm owner, we're actually the only party in South Australia that, that's running the SA election that has a policy on firearms. It's, and it's pretty clear. I'm sure your members know Senator Lionhelm and perhaps they know Aaron Stonehouse. I mean, we it's funny, all our, all our candidates that get elected, they just happen to be shooters. And that's probably not surprising because it's one of those passion issues that our members have. So I would say actually having shooters in Parliament and people that understand the issues is quite important. On a general front, I would just say, you know, Jobs, economy, those things are important. And that's why, again, I go straight back to the jobs tax. We literally have a tax on jobs and the politicians don't even say it's wrong. They always talk about, oh, we would like to lower the jobs tax a little bit. They never come out and say this is a bad thing and we have a, you know, at least an eight-year plan or something to get rid of it. Because in the end, jobs will solve everything. If we can create more jobs, we can, you're not going to have people struggling on welfare and creating other issues in our society. Yeah, jobs. If you want to, if you want to reduce violence, the jobs is going to do that because people engage in violence because they're poorer. Yeah, you because know, they might be struggling. It creates problems. Would you like to advertise on one of the most tech-savvy mediums on the internet? Then why don't you advertise with us on the Australian Hunting Podcast? If you have a product or business that you would like to promote, then we would love to hear from you. Become one of our partner advertisers by calling Jason on 0425 881 967 or email australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. If you're listening for this uh, podcast, Shooters, and Obviously, you can have a look at the Liberal Democrats. But getting into my next question, say especially for shooters, I'd say in this one, because obviously, we, again, we're a shooting podcast. So I want to concentrate more so on that. But what, what's say, the top issue that, you, especially in regards to firearms, that you'd push if, if you got into partner? What's, say, something that would be achievable uh, and, and is sort of the number one, not number one priority, but uh, one of the priorities you'd put forward if you know, people put their faith in you and get you elected at the South Australian election this weekend? Obviously, pragmatically, we know the NFA changes are coming through, things like adverse classifications. So the first thing is let's just make sure there's no more restrictions on shooters. In terms of what we can actually win that will actually get us a step towards the right direction, I would try and get the debate away from this America versus Australia because the way I picture it as let's look at New Zealand. 
New Zealand has a lower homicide rate than Australia, and they don't have things like long arm registration. They allow semi-automatics. And I think they do it in a good way because New Zealand seems to be having a criminal-focused approach to guns rather than focusing on law-abiding people. I mean, there were some stats on, I believe it was Paul Murray Live, that was saying the amount of guns used in illegal um, issues are not registered firearms. They're basically firearms are imported. So why are we going after registered firearms? So I think I would take pieces of policy that I think the community would understand from places where the community is more trusting, like New Zealand, and say, well, look, New Zealand does this. New Zealand's safe. Why can't we be a bit more like New Zealand and get the debate away from America? Because obviously that's at a debate where we're arguing a place that does have a high homicide rate. You know, we don't we don't say to the gun control people, you know, do you want to be like Mexico where it's high gun control and high violence? But we, we let them compare us to America, really. I think shooters would love to get to a situation where we're more like New Zealand. And that would probably be a, a huge achievement if we could get to the position where we had New Zealand-style laws, you know, after the end of a four- or eight-year term. Looking for outdoor equipment for your next adventure? At Aussie Outdoor Gear, you can find cooking equipment, camo clothing for kids, backpacks, camo accessories and much more. We cater for your hunting, fishing, camping, hiking and other outdoor pursuits with our unique product range. AussieOutdoorGear.com.au Quality gear at affordable prices. I want to talk about, it was a good one you actually brought up about New Zealand, a very good one, because they've actually got quite a large firearms ownership rate, about 1.2 million guns for 4.8 million people. But uh, there was a former police minister, Anne Tolley, said for registration, this is what we're going to go on to a little bit next, but she said there's no evidence to show that, in fact, the private registration will give any greater protection you know, to the community than the current system they already had, which is obviously no registration. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely, especially when we're talking about... Because New Zealand has registration of semi-automatics or military-style semi-automatics, as they call them. But in terms of when you think about Class A and Class B weapons, as far as I'm understanding of the statistics, they're rarely used. I believe it's handguns, are the, the, the firearm of choice for sort of criminals. So when you think about why would we register Class A and B weapons if they're so little used in violence, and especially... When we're talking about the ones that are actually registered, again, you know, the criminals are using unregistered weapons, mostly, by and large. That's what the statistics show. So New Zealand seems to have got the statistics and actually thought about this, whereas Australia is, you know, is very knee-jerk reaction. It's all about making people feel good rather than actually getting results. I'm just going to throw a few things at you now, and just—I mean, I just—we'll discuss them, I guess. Appearance laws. What do you think of appearance laws? We just—I'm not sure if you saw the one just the other day. There was the—I think it's the Riverman OAF or whatever it's called—and the border force have let these firearms in. Heaven forbid, apparently, you know, it's red, made out of whatever it's made out of, and they're saying it looks like a semi-automatic weapon, therefore it's banned, or it looks like a military-style rifle. I mean, shouldn't it be based on the action of the firearm and not the way a firearm looks? It should be. And the thing about appearance laws is the only thing that could perhaps worry people is if it looks dangerous. But, you know, if someone pulls out anything that looks dangerous, then that person's going to be vulnerable, right? If if someone pulls out a fake gun and aims at a police officer, that person may get shot. You know, we're not talking about these sort of things. We're talking about people that might just use them at home for fun or I don't know if these things squirt water or it doesn't really matter what it looks like. In the end, it's about how dangerous it is. That's what gives it the category A, B, H, or C, or D for some shooters. So it's a load of rubbish. <laughs> 
Definitely is. Michael, what about self-defence? What do you think about self-defence, at least in the home, to starting, obviously, you know, pepper spray, uh, whatever the homeowner decides, firearm, is the LDP supportive of that in uh, South Australia? Sure, the LDP is supportive of self-defence. And uh, obviously this is one where the the, the public is a, more sceptical of, which is why, for example, in WA we said, let's let individuals be able to have pepper spray and tasers because that's something I think we can win a bit of community support over, especially when you think, there's many other countries where if you've been a victim of domestic violence or you have a genuine prospect of threat against you, you can go out and get some form of defence, be it pepper spray, a firearm, taser, whatever it may be. You know, th- these people are actually at risk and we don't allow them to defend themselves. You know, police aren't going to be our personal servants. They're going to get there after and investigate why we died. So we do, and we do have a right to self-defence. It's acknowledged in our in our laws, but we don't have the right to the means of self-defence. And that's where the obviously obvious gap is. But yes, it is a, it's a tricky one from the public perspective. But when you think about cases, I believe it was David, someone from New South Wales, who was a farmer, and then he had his licence and guns taken off him. I mean, I think the community by and large supports him and thinks that, you know, why can't he do something like that? It seems like common sense that, at least in the home, we should be allowing people to use guns as a form of self-defence. Suppressors. What do you think about suppressors? There's been a lot of talk uh, recently, you know, about suppressors, you know, ranges getting shut down, ex- you know, for excessive noise or hard to get, you know, to build new ranges due to excessive noise. I mean, a lot of the countries around the world, some are mandated to use suppressors. You know, England, quite draconian gun laws. A lot of farmers there won't let people shoot on their property without a suppressor. Uh, you know, very, very important tool uh, in being able to shoot, reduce noise, reduce recoil for shooters. Is the LDP of supportive of uh, introducing suppressors, which you know probably would be achieved. The appearance laws and suppressors probably something I think, you know, at least Australia-wide, that is achievable, say, over the next couple of years. We're supportive of suppressors. It's not an issue I personally have a lot of understanding of, but I know that very point that you said, there are some jurisdictions that actually mandate it, and I think we would be quite clever to refer to those jurisdictions when making our case. You know, it's a, I, know I don't want to tangent to another issue, but the... The Department of Health over in the UK you know, recommends vaping as a way of getting people off cigarettes. Yet in the Australian government, we ban it. So it's kind of interesting to see how the different jurisdictions approach certain things. And I think we've got to look to other places that do it, show that they're quite sensible, show that they don't make a difference. And in the end, this is a good tool for shooters to you know, do their job better. And so if South Australian shooters, I guess, general people, they, they're thinking about voting for them, they're going, uh, they're not sure. I mean, what, what realistically can the LDP offer in South Australia in saying that, you know, can, can you offer them a lot more than what the general parties will offer? I mean, obviously, we know it's going to be hard, you know, one person in parliament. Uh, I mean, should the, should the shooters have faith in the LDP and vote for you? I think they should, you know, vote not based on what I'm saying, but what based on what we've done. I mean, if you like the job that Senator Lionhelm has done in the Senate, if you like the job that Aaron Stonehouse is doing in WA, you know, I will be no different. We're all from the same blood, unlike uh, One Nation or Palmer or any other sort of group where they're just a bunch of ragtag independents. We're a bunch of people that got into politics over a united principle, united principle of freedom. So I would say that as a principled candidate, we are going to stick to our guns, you know, figuratively and literally, and we are going to represent shooters and we're going to represent all South Australians that like freedom of choice. So I'd say they can trust us. Do you think David Lionhill has been strong on guns? 
David Lionhelm was the only one in the Senate that, well, apart from maybe one or two nationals, but he's been very strong. I mean, he managed to negotiate the Adler ban to be repealed. Of course, we know the Liberals you know, backstabbed us on that. And we'll remember that. <laughs> I know it's always happens box. where they say, you know, laws are state-based, yet overnight they've just, like Border Force, they say, oh, no, it's a state-level issue, but then Border Force and the federal government gets involved and these firearms were banned, just like the seven-shot Adler. You know, they go to COAG meetings and all of a sudden, guess what? The states have to get in line. They've been told what to do, whether it's a funding issue, whether they've been threatened with funding, who knows? Uh, and then we can't have these types of firearms. So when it suits them, they go, oh, no, it's a state issue. You need to write to your state member. But then when they can ban firearms just overnight with a click of their fingers. In the end, it's a numbers game. If you look at the South Australian uphouse, it's uh, 22 members. 11 are elected each election, so half are elected. It's quite interesting. If you look at the current parliament, there's eight Liberals, eight Labor, two Greens, two Conservatives. So that makes, if you assume, so the Conservatives tend to go with the Liberals, and the Greens tend to go with Labor, it's 10-10. So ne- neither of them has 12 to pass any laws. Labor at the moment requires the Greens, it requires the Disability Party, and it requires an independent just to pass its laws. So one person can make a difference in that kind of setup. It's, it's a little bit different from the federal parliament where the crossbench is not as influential. I guess we're a bit blessed in SA that it's a lot more of a hung parliament than other parliaments. Obviously, the issue of firearms, you've only been in it, you know, obviously a short time, as you said before we spoke, I think, over the phone before we started the interview. It's interested you for quite some time. So let's say someone out there said, well, you know, he hasn't been in it this long. He doesn't really grasp the understanding of firearms ownership or freedom in firearms ownership. What would you say to that? I mean, they'll be correct. I can't name all the different models. When I'm at the gun club and they're talking about all these different models, I don't know what they're talking about. I mean, a year ago, if you said, what is a lever action? I didn't know what it was. So, but by going through this process, by trying out different guns, by getting involved in the matches, I am learning and I'm going to continue to learn. I didn't know a lot about firearm safes till I bought one. So it's going to be a process, but at least I'm in the sport. I'm supportive of shooters. I'm supportive of freedoms as a matter of principle. And my door is always going to be open to individuals and also groups like the SSAA, the Combined Firearms Council. So my door will always be open to chat with all these people. I'm happy to admit when I don't know, you know, the expert on certain points, just like uh, suppressors. I don't think many people are generally probably talking about, you know, the types of firearms. But, you know, when we, I guess I talk to a lot of different people. How can I explain this the best way? I guess it's the grasp of gun ownership in general and more so the freedom part, not actually the firearm part that we should be able to own firearms for self-defense. You know, that registration doesn't solve crime and people just grasping those concepts. I find a lot of people that get into the industry, they say, yeah, I love shooting. It's fantastic. But when you talk to them, you finally ask them a few questions. You talk about them about registration. They say, oh, that's good, isn't it? Appearance laws. Oh, they're good, aren't they? That solves crime or registration solves crime. Or I know people shouldn't have a right to self-defense and you really start getting to know people and you find out well yeah they i guess they understand about firearms but they don't really understand about the core things that people like myself i guess and many of the pro-gun organizations are trying to push across this country so but it seems like you've got a quite a grasp of you know freedom and that should interact closely with you know firearms owners and i'm I'm sure you'd be happy to hear from organizations to help you out along the way or if you need help in that respect so i don't think that's going to be a problem yeah, and especially when the NFA and other things are coming along, I'm sure I'll be in close touch with people like the SSAA to help me uh, understand the best arguments and things they've used in the past because they've had to go currently without any real strong supporters in the parliament. So at least I'll have someone that's really backing them this time.
I was just on my Facebook page, and I've got a couple of questions. They seem pretty reasonable. Uh, from Rick, he says, what is Michael going to do to roll back infringements on our personal freedoms? There you go. Good question from Rick. I think I've covered that on quite a few examples. I think I talked about you know, how medical cannabis is not allowed. That's another freedom. I'm, I, whether you judge as an infringement or not, I regard the $1 Uber tax and all the sort of resistance to these sort of new industries as an infringement on freedom. I talked about the lockout laws earlier, which was another infringement on your freedom. It could be the various what they call sin taxes. You know, you get taxed every time you get a bit of alcohol or tobacco. All these things are infringements on my freedoms. I mean, there's it's, it's almost everything you do in life seems to require a license or a tax or a, you know filling out a form or something, and often it's unnecessary. I've got another one from Oscar. He talks about, you know, obviously this is a power issue unrelated to shooting, but I'll ask the question anyway. Obviously, we know a lot of countries around the world, you know, Japan, France, the US, you use nuclear power. He says, will they commit to testing a thorium power generator? Very interesting question. Uh, I know nothing about thorium, although that word has you know, hit me a few times, so I'd have to work out what the actual experts say. I will say one thing about nuclear power is I believe all the nuclear power options do take quite a number of years to take effect. So I think any energy solution needs to have a, a non-nuclear alternative to at least keep electricity affordable in the next couple of years. And, you know, Senator Lionhelms talked about, for example, cutting the GST as an interim measure. You know, any sort of way we can get some interim relief. I'm pretty sure, though, one of the big things is all the government's interference in this industry seems to be what's driving the prices up. I mean, that seems to be the difference between us and a lot of other countries. Our government's mandating oh, you're, this electricity company, you must use this type of energy. I don't think telling the energy companies how to run their businesses is the way to get costs down. I think they're the experts. It's in their interest to get electricity cheaper so that they can control the market and get as many sales as they can. But then the government interferes and pushes prices up. So I'd say that's probably, we need to get back to the reason why we used to have affordable energy. Excellent. So true, mate. Tell us a story uh, for when we finish off. My listeners always like a bit of a story. So maybe something when you got into shooting, something that stood, stood out in your mind when you thought, you know, yeah, this sport's pretty good. You know, something that maybe someone helped you or you got a good score at the shooting range. Anything in particular that you'd be able to mention that sort of, you know, cemented your interest when you actually went there and thought, yeah, what well, this is pretty good. I'm actually going to take this up. This is fun. I remember the first time uh, one of the other club members, I, I've only shot 22s at that stage, and then he gave me his 9mm, and then I shot it, and I'm like, wow, this is it's not even twice as powerful. It's felt like four times as powerful, at least the first time I shot it, and I was like, whoa. And then he's, after I had a couple of shots and I felt a bit more comfortable, um, he said to a double tap, and I sort of I, you know, I sort of knew what he meant, like shooting it twice, but he's like, yeah, do it like this. And it's like, whoa. And just the way it sort of, by the time the gun had fell back down and I shot it the second time, you know, that was quite thrilling doing that. Uh, it's quite a powerful gun, the 9mm, at least for a newbie like myself that's used to 22s. <laughs> it's all right. You'll get over that. Don't worry about that. So that, that was quite a fun moment. And it was a good moment of just another club member. Didn't, you know, didn't charge me for all the bullets that he reloaded himself. He just said, hey, you know, use the magazine, have 10 shots, enjoy yourself. So I like, it's, a, it's a good club and the guys are all cracking jokes all the time. It's great. Excellent. May I guess this last part is to tell people why they should vote for you. You're coming up, obviously, this Saturday. I'm trying to get uh, this podcast up as quick as I can to my members. So, I mean, you know, why should people vote for you? You know, what, what, what can you tell them just before we finish off to get them interested in voting for the LDP? I guess a, a final reason to vote for you guys, I guess. 
I, I think it's clear that we are the strongest party for firearms owners. We're the only party in SA that's running that has a clear firearms policy supporting shooters. So number one, we are the party for firearms owners. On the other issues, I would say we're the only party that says you should be deciding what's best for your life. Every other party says you should do this and you should do that and this is how we should run the economy. We just want to say, look, we want taxes and we want decisions and we want other aspects of your life to go back to the people. So we're the only ones that want to get into power to give the power back to the people. So I'd say that's it's a fundamental principle that differentiates us from all the other parties. I think on a pragmatic level, the idea that we would lower taxes for things like jobs and to allow things like lockout laws to go, all these things will help you know, make a great economy and a great economy will be great for everyone. So I'd say those three factors, shooting, a strong economy, and just fundamental freedoms and giving control back to the people. I'm going to release this show tonight because we're recording it on the, uh, the 15th of March, obviously the election being Saturday. Now, if people want to get involved, is it too late for them to get involved or they can they, even if they've got no paraphernalia to hand out or can they get their hands on anything to be able to help you get elected at their local you know, schools or voting booths in South Australia? I think one of the best ways people could help is just by sharing us. I mean, we don't have millions of taxpayer dollars to advertise, but you know, the power of individual conversations is phenomenal. If we have a thousand people that watch this podcast, go out and tell 10 people about us, that's 10,000 potential more votes. They might tell 10 more people. That's 100,000. I mean, that's the way to reach people. One-on-one conversations, that's what you can do to help us. And, you know, a few thousand votes, it might make the difference to having our first pro-shooter in Parliament. What do you reckon your chances are, your honest chances? Are you feeling positive or...? I mean, we wouldn't we wouldn't contest if we didn't think there was a chance. I mean, we contested WA, we won. We got Senator Lionhelm re-elected last time. It's a chance. It's uh, not guaranteed, of course. It's going to require a reasonable primary vote and every preference we can uh, manage, but uh, it, it's doable. Excellent. All right, Michael Nowak joins me here, candidate for the Liberal Democrats in the up-and-coming Saturday, March 17th, South Australian election. So... If you want to help out, you want to share this podcast, you know, help get elected, share it on Facebook, all the avenues you possibly can on social media. That would be great. Michael, thanks for your time. I really appreciate you joining me tonight and having a chat. And uh, thanks. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.